0: to the Midwest Film Nerds podcast. I am Alex. I am Nick. I am Tim. Today we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We have a bunch of film news to talk about and then we are going to do a full review of Dean Pariseau's Bill and Ted Face the Music. But before we get to all that, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com is where you can write to us. Let us us know what you think of the show or the things that we talk about. Uh, Check out mpn.bz slash patreon and give a little a little money to our patreon each week you'll get access to bonus episodes from the midwest game nerds called side or from horror movie or book called tiny terrors and uh you'll get access to those a, a week early before they hit the feed uh, for just a dollar a month so please check that out speaking of those other shows the midwest game nerds this week talked about bowser's fury and valheim was a good episode please go check it out we also have a bonus episode coming about uh fallout special characteristics which nick inspired and 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 suggested to us uh and we also picked some perks as well which was good and uh (laughs) the horror movie yearbook podcast covered train to busan peninsula in their last episode and uh they're gonna have a tiny tear about john carpenter's lost themes three so too. Plenty of stuff to listen to on the Midwest Podcast Network. Please make sure you go check it out. Uh, Tim, do you know what do you guys know what your next episode's gonna be? Yeah, so we are doing Crawl next, the um, oh, awesome.
1: Alexander yeah, Alexander Aha uh, Alligator movie that Aha. came out a couple years ago. So yeah, that was a uh that was a viewer or a listener request, I should say.
0: Nice. That's good. Well, I'm excited to hear it. Uh, Game nerds, I believe we're going to be talking about the Outriders Outriders demo, which came out today for all of the platforms. It's a shooter MMO thing, and uh, they delayed it to April. It was supposed to come out this week, but they delayed it to April. But they they put out a demo, and it's all crossplay too, so you can play with your friends regardless of what platform they're on, which is pretty sweet. Um, so we're excited to check that one out and see what it's all about. But uh, all of that aside, I think it's time to get to what we've been watching. Um, Nick, do you want to start with what you've been watching?
2: Sure. Yeah. I think, um, well, I rewatched the first two Bill and Ted movies in anticipation of watching the third. Uh, And I can talk about those now, or if we're going to talk about those before we, like collectively, before we talk about the third, I will happily wait to discuss that.
0: Um, I think, uh, we can, we can save that for when we get to the, the bills, the the third bill
2: and Ted, um,
0: but, uh, but did you, were you watching anything else in the meantime?
2: I did, but I completely don't remember at all what I watched. So I know that I went downstairs to my Blu-ray shelf and I picked something out and I don't remember what I watched. So (laughs) let's just move it right along. All right, Tim, what have you been watching? So
1: I have been watching, we, uh, my wife and I have actually, I've been on an animation kick lately and I Uh have, uh, we've both been, we jumped back into the Clone Wars. We kind of took a little bit of a break to watch something else. I can't remember, but then we jumped back into the Clone Wars and we are in season four right now, which is, it's, it's killer right now. It's really, really good. Um, the first couple seasons are good too, but this is, I think this is when it kind of wind of kick it kind of kicks into high gear the other show i've been watching animated that i wanted to talk about here is the uh the harley quinn animated show that's on hbo max now and it was originally on dc universe but i just got around to i watched the first episode a while back but i just got around to i'm halfway through the second season right now harley quinn is a tough character to get right a lot of the times she's she's a little like deadpool for me where Sometimes she can be a little grating and I, and sometimes maybe in the wrong hands can get a little bit, I'm trying to think of a different word than problematic, but that's what she can be sometimes. But I, this, this show reminds me of how much I used to like her in the animated series because it's very, it uses that Batman animated series kind of as a jumping off point. And I think two, uh, two episodes of that series in particular, the Mad Love, which is kind of the origin story of Harley Quinn, and then it also uses Harley and Ivy, which is that Thel- Thelma and Louise style episode they did on Batman. The end made a series, kind of as a jumping off point too. Um, mm. It's not particularly highbrow; the humor a lot of the time it's very um, it can be very well lowbrow, um, but it, <laughs> it, it does uh, it does have a heart too. It the humor reminds me a little bit of the old Clerks cartoon. In some ways, and I think that makes sense because I, Paul Dini worked on the Clerks cartoon and he also worked on the animated series Batman and he he works on this as well as kind of a consultant. So it also reminds me a lot of The Brave and the Bold that came out a couple of years, uh, actually uh, a while ago now.
2: Yeah, but that was a good one. That I was the Brave yeah, and the bold.
1: Yep. And so it's ca- kind of a zany, wacky wacky feel to it but it does have it does does have heart particularly when it comes to the harley ivy relationship um and it's got a really killer voice cast right now i'm gonna name off some of them real quick because it, even i was taken aback when i went on wikipedia just to see all the people in in this show so it's got it's kaylee kuoko right that's how you pronounce her name
0: yeah from uh Big Bang Theory is Harley Quinn herself, right?
1: Yep, she's Harley Quinn. Lake Bell is Poison Ivy. But then Alan Tudyk is Clayface Joker, Calendar Man, Dr. Trap, and the Condiment King. <laughs> oh, uh,
3: crap.
1: Tony Hale is Dr. Psycho. Tony Hale from Arrested Development. Uh, Ron Funcius is King Shark.
2: Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's amazing. <laughs> uh,
1: Jason Alexander from Seinfeld is Cyborgman. Uh, uh, JB Smooth is Frank the Plant. Uh, then you have Dietrich Bader, who is Batman, and he was Batman in the Brave and the Bold, and he's yeah. fantastic as kind of the straight man Batman. I don't know the dude that plays Bane, but they they make Bane more like the um, more like the Dark Knight Rises Bane. So okay. <laughs> he does the voice and everything. Um, <laughs> Tisha Campbell Martin, who I believe is from the show Martin, but she was also in um, oh oh the one with the big plant. A um,
0: uh, little shop of horrors. I little see, shop of IMDb. horrors. Yeah.
1: She's in it. Um, where was the other one? Oh, because you guys will get a kick out of this as Commissioner Gordon. Oh, Christopher Maloney.
2: Oh, as, amazing.
1: <laughs> and, uh, Alfred Molina is as Mr. Freeze. Wanda Sykes is in it. It's a killer
2: voice. That's cast. an and amazing like, cast. Yeah.
1: And everybody does fantastic work in it. So I have really, really been enjoying that. And I would recommend that it's on HBO Max now.
0: That sounds awesome. I honestly like uh, once once uh, after the nolan trilogy came to a close uh i i always kind of wondered what alan tudyk's joker would be like because um his role in dollhouse is very uh would lend itself well to a joker and um i this is that's really cool you make you know, this is make me want to watch it i did not realize how stacked this cast was
1: He's it's very much inspired by Mark Hamill's Joker. A lot of this yeah. is inspired by the animated series, but it's it, yeah, it's a very good voice performance.
2: Well, that's awesome. That's I'm cool. Glad. I was just reading this topic on I, I don't remember if it was on like Twitter or, or Reddit or what, but some kind of film discussion about the unfortunate trend of when like a list celebrities started being cast in like voice roles and mm-hmm. like legitimate voice actors weren't as much and it was somebody had kind of traced it back to Robin Williams was kind of one of the, one of the precursors to this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and that he even tried to avoid being the center of the spotlight. Like he, his name wasn't on any of the marketing early on and that kind of thing is he didn't want the genie to like take over, you know, and be the focus of it. Uh, and then you had like all these, somebody immediately posted the the poster for shark tail. And I was like, yup, <laughs> that, was, that was a dark, that was a hard one because like they're, you know there's a difference it's a different skill set and not all on-screen talent have the ability to be good voice talent but that whole cast sounds like people that would be you know have the depth to be able to pull that off so that sounds really cool
0: yeah it seems like a good mix you know and like like a lot of these people are people that i see like even andy daly plays two-face and he's been doing a lot of voice work as well as like showing up in comedic roles more more often nowadays than he was in the past, I think, but you know, Phil Lamar is on the cast list too. He's a long time. Uh, oh yeah. He's actor. he's in tons of stuff. So no, that's, that sounds great. I need to finally check that out. Um, I don't know why I haven't as of yet, other than, you know, my DC. Uh, is that on HBO? Yes. Yes. It's that's on what HBO I thought. Max now um
1: i was no i get it because i was hesitant too because yeah I, like i mentioned before harley can be a tough character to kind of nail mm-hmm. and oh, oh yeah <laughs> and but yeah i know i think this one does and i think it does it in a really smart way
0: well that's awesome um i have been watching some stuff i watched a movie on netflix called malcolm and marie uh directed by sam levinson um, I think Assassination Nation was one of his biggest ones, which I have not seen. Um, but this is a, a, a movie that he made specifically for. It is a Netflix release, uh, and it stars um, John David Washington and Zendaya uh, as the titular characters. And uh, it's a it's it's a two hander. It is it is just them in their house for whatever the runtime is. Let me take a look here. On the oh, IMDb wow. page, it is uh, an hour and forty six minutes of just them, and I think their performances are great. I think they do a really good job. And once again, like John David Washington, we talked about him a little bit last episode because he's the the um, the protagonist and tenant. Uh, he's fantastic, and I keep forgetting that he's Denzel Washington's son. And that's probably great news for him because he's like he's not famous because he's Denzel's son. He's famous because he's a good actor and I think that's great. Um but yeah, the the chemistry between between them works in this movie, but overall I think it's really just their performances that are gonna either sell you on this movie or not. And in the end I I don't I think it's an interesting movie to watch, but I think it wears pretty thin right around probably the halfway mark <laughs> and you kind of realize exactly what the mo- what the shape of the movie's going to be um mm-hmm. there's some interesting uh John David Washington plays a um a director in the movie and um there's some it's the movie takes place after the premiere of I think his directorial debut basically And there's some very metatextual comments on movie criticism that are being kind of litigated on Twitter right now. Um, And it's, it's kind of interesting. Like his character very clearly calls out the words of a, uh, an LA times writer. Who's a white woman who may or may not be using her review to kind of virtue signal. And so uh, there there's, there's, there's a lot of people on Twitter that are talking about this movie specifically because of the situation that it's kind of created around that. And that kind of is more fascinating to me than the movie itself at this point, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> might tell you <laughs> how, how captivating the movie is. But either way, if you're looking for something to watch, um, watch Harley Quinn, but then maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe Malcolm and Murray after that. Oh, I, that what I watched. What, what was that Tim real quick? No, I just
1: said, or read that article, because that sounds fascinating. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Nick, what did you watch? I watched two movies on Netflix. I just had to look it up because I was like, wait, it wasn't off my shelf. I watched Prospect with Pedro Pascal and uh, Mark Duplass's brother, who I feel bad because I can't remember his first name. Jay, yes. Uh, And that was okay. I had okay. pretty high hopes for it because it sounded pretty cool. It had it was it was very interesting and it was pretty original, so that was neat. I'd say it's worth checking out, but it's not going to blow the doors off anything. The other movie I watched was The Devil All the Time on Netflix. Have either of you guys seen this?
1: No. What no. what was that?
2: It seemed a uh, a little too uh dour for me it's in the middle of the Tom coronavirus Holland and uh, Oh, um, that
1: one. Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh uh Robert Pattinson and um some other famous people anyway anyway it stinks (laughs) i was bill bill scars yes so it it starts off really really promising like you're not wrong alex it's it's definitely a downer but the first act or the first like probably 30 minutes or so was really good and then it got into the tom holland stuff and it just took a nosedive and Mm. it could not recover for me i just was like man this movie just lost all steam and You know, when it came out, there was like a ton of praise being heaped on it. Uh, And I was reading all this stuff, not really reading, but just seeing, just noticing that people were like, oh, it's so good. And I saw a film critic who I really enjoy their work saying... They were they were retweeting people saying that Tom Holland should be nominated for an Oscar for it. And he was like <laughs> he was like, These Marvel fanboys like can't get enough of the, anything Tom Holland is in. They're like, he deserves awards, he deserves <laughs> praise, all this. He he's fine in it too. Like he's okay. It's just the story just gets really just not really not good. And I was really surprised because I didn't really sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the hype and the the critical, you know, trappings of a lot of movies, but with this one I just disregarded it. I said, okay, it's supposed to be good, whatever. But it came across my my feed, and so I was like, "Yeah, I'll give it a shot," because we had just watched Tenet, and I was so impressed with Robert Pattinson and that. Mm. So I was like, "I'll give this a whirl." And man, it just—I do not recommend at all. Just steer, steer clear. That's a bummer. Yeah, because it's long as hell, and I watched the whole thing. It was like one <laughs> night I, I couldn't sleep. I stayed up till like twelve thirty watching it. and It ended, and I was just like, Ugh, "Now I have to put on something else to feel good about the evening again." <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, well, another uh, another job well done on the original content by Netflix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be another topic we can get to is how's the content turn treating everybody? Very, but, very shortly. I watched uh, Nick brought up the crime scene. Uh, something something Cecil Hotel on mm. Netflix last week. I'm sorry. I can't remember the full title. Yeah, it's uh, also on Netflix. Four episode series, docu series. Um. In the end, I, I liked it quite a bit. Nick and I had talked about it a little bit over text, uh, and and I think it's interesting. I just kind of, um, with a four part series like that, I feel like the, uh, if your central thesis has kind of less to do with the mystery that you're exploring, I accept that a little bit more in like a two hour movie than I do in like a four part series. Does that make sense without me revealing anything? It does. You don't know if you agree with me, which is totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and I guess, I guess maybe the, uh, maybe, maybe that should be a prerequisite of me watching a docu-series is kind of like, well, maybe this one took on a life of its own as it continues on. Um, but I guess, I guess just for some reason, like I like what they arrive at. I like, uh, I like kind of how the series leaves you with the subject matter that it presents. But I just feel as though, um, I feel like if you're tuning in to this one specifically because of the mystery, it may not be as fully satisfying. And a lot of these docu-series sometimes aren't, but I also feel as though the series could have made a stronger point if it was more centered around what I feel like they arrive at as the subject in the final two episodes.
2: I see. Yeah. Almost in the final, only the final episode, really. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. like
0: in, in the last 10 to 15 minutes of the third episode and yeah. then the final
2: episode. That yeah. was so funny. Cause you were texting me saying, I don't know about this third episode, this <laughs> pretty woof. And I was like, eh, hang in there. You'll see. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I see what you're saying. It, maybe you wish all had been made a little more clear, a little sooner in the series. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. And I just think it could have been framed differently to
2: kind of, um, to Tim, you should watch this. If you haven't already. <laughs> I think you would enjoy it. And it's only, it's only one of the things I love about it is it's only four episodes. Yeah. It's not, you know, <sighs> I didn't mean to cut you off, Alex. I'm sorry. 10 episodes.
0: No, it's okay. I I just, I feel as though if you, um, I think the message that they arrive at is a very important one. And I kind of wish that they, like, I think even arriving at the point earlier, like you said, would be okay, but even just kind of a reframing of your expectations about what they want to talk about is would have, would have supported the the final message of, of the docu-series I think for, for like to some advantage, you know, Not that it's like bad or that they didn't do a good job with it because I think they handled it fairly well, but I just, it feels like there could have been a reframing of what they were discussing to make it more effective at what they wanted to kind of show the viewer.
2: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i really i really like it i like i really like exactly how they did it and i can't i can't say why without spoiling anything yeah so that's, kind that's of hard a, to that, talk around yeah that's okay because hey, i do you, i i do think tim should watch it
1: well okay but if you do if you're like me you just don't want to watch four episodes of this uh discovery plus you can get a free trial of And you can watch Zach Baggins of Ghost Adventures go into the Cecil Hotel. It's called Cecil Ghost Adventures, Cecil Hotel. And if you want no respect for the dead or any sort of tact uh, for this poor, for this poor, this awful tragedy, watch this one. Because Zach just goes around and he yells at ghosts. Um, He talks about how he's getting scratched by everything. Um, He brings in a psychic medium to talk to the deceased. Uh, It is it is wild, wild stuff and only 90 minutes. So
0: it kind that kind of weirdly dovetails well with it, though, like it might be a good pairing, (laughs) which is kind of interesting uh, that now that you say these things about it. Uh,
2: Honestly, you're right, because a lot of a lot of the people that are interviewed in the the Netflix one would probably have really enjoyed the one you're talking about, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) And if, if you watch if you watch that one and Alex and I watch this other one. Maybe this can be our emergency back pocket episode. (laughs) Meet back on the other side and Uh see to compare notes. Interesting. This bizarre. We will, we will, we will, I guarantee have been the only people in the world to do this and talk about this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? It's, it's called a niche, you know?
2: Yeah. With a capital N.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't think I have anything else I've been watching. Uh, We can move forth with some movie news. Uh, one of the first things that I wanted to bring up uh, was some news that I was kind of surprised to see here. Uh, David Fincher is reuniting with the seven, the writer of seven, Andrew, Kevin Walker, on a movie called the killer for Netflix. Um, so I came to seven pretty late. I probably watched it only about 11 years ago when I started at the video store. Um, and when I saw the movie, I remember looking up Andrew Kevin Walker on IMDb and being like, "Why doesn't he have more like this in his oeuvre, so to speak?" Um, and so, you know, I think Andrew Kevin Walker. Let's see. Let's pull up his his uh, his list here.
1: I'm doing the same thing because when you because uh, I prompted me to look to see what else he has written because I'm not sure off the top of my head
0: yeah so like since since uh since seven he's he wrote um it's got a screenplay credit on perversions of science whatever that is eight millimeter the nick cage film is a written by for him uh sleepy hollow in 1999 which is a movie that i enjoy uh or enjoyed i guess really um but then there's like there's a few shorts here that are like it looks like uh, it's the Clive Owen shorts that were BMW, like a BMW commercial. Those are really cool, actually. Okay, so that's fair. And then it's the Wolfman in 2010. E. And Nerdland in 2016, which is an animated thing with Paul Rudd in it, apparently. But, okay. like, I was like, I feel like the man who wrote, like, by the time I had watched Seven and known what it all was, I was like, why isn't the man who wrote Seven some big, name and like you know crime thriller movies and not that everybody needs to like pigeonhole themselves into one particular subject matter but i was just kind of surprised that it was like slim pickings so i was excited to see them reteaming on something that seems um a little different and i can
2: pull up the synopsis as well he has he does have four uh, uncredited credits as a script doctor On Event Horizon, The Game, Stir of Echoes, and Fight Club, which is interesting. Very interesting. Those are four pretty high-profile picks.
1: He also wrote a Tales from the Crypt episode with Martin Sheen and Billy Zane about magicians. Amazing. seek that out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, is that the best episode of... (laughs) I think it's one of the... I haven't watched a
1: lot of the later seasons of that. I think it's one of the later seasons.
0: Interesting. Um... Yeah, so the other the other piece is Michael Fassbender's in talks to star in the Killer, this new uh, Netflix film from uh, from Andrew Kevin Walker and David Fincher. Um, but the synopsis, which I still have not pulled up, because I'm good at this, the seri- Okay, so it was based on um, it was based on a series of graphic novels. Uh, by alexis nolent and it says here the series followed a cold-blooded assassin who begins to have a psychological crisis in a world with no moral compass which sounds cool to me it sounds uh it sounds like interesting material for them both to kind of go through and like a kind of a weird return to form for both of them almost um so i don't
2: know does this excite either of you as much as it excited me I have read this before. I'm just looking it up. I read this. on It's on Comixology Unlimited.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, not all of it. Uh, I I shouldn't say I've read it all. I've read the first two volumes. Okay. It, it sounded so familiar when I read the synopsis.
1: What's the title again?
2: It's called The Killer. It's a, oh. It was a French comic that has since been, uh, you know, obviously translated into English. Yeah. Yeah, so the first two volumes are on Comixology Unlimited, if you're interested. Also, volume five, for some reason, which I haven't read. <laughs> but, um, oh wait, there's a complete, complete the killer, 767 pages. That is on Comicsology Unlimited. So there you go. You can read that.
0: Nice. I'm
2: going to borrow it right now and see if I can finish it. Yeah, because the synopsis was reminding me of like um, that other movie that they made based on a, a comic with uh, Mads Mikkelsen, I can't remember the name of, where he plays that assassin. And, um, also a little bit of 13, which is a, I think a Belgian comic book that was turned into a video game at one point. Okay. And, um, that was also pretty cool. Yeah. Like assassin and spy comics are really, really good. Like they, they work really well as comic books. You might not think so, but, um, they're pretty cool. So yeah, this is an exciting pairing. I mean, these two obviously have a thing. They kind of helped make each other and launch each other into, into a, a next level in their career. Yeah. If Fassbender's involved, that's that's cool too. It's a good mix of people. Tim, like, what what are your thoughts?
1: I I, I like the trio. And this is going to be the. I mean, if I end up watching it, this will be the first. I haven't watched a Fincher movie since like The Social Network. I because I, I, I was looking at that too. I missed Gone Girl. I should watch Gone Girl, shouldn't I? You
2: should. <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I think I've been told that I would very much enjoy Gone Girl. But yeah, I didn't yeah. watch the. I didn't watch Mank. I didn't watch the girl. Um,
2: Did you watch the Dragon, Dragon Tattoo?
1: I didn't watch that one either. Oh, so. it's it's solid. Is it good? Okay. Yeah. I might have to check that. Out. I should watch, I should definitely watch gone girl. Cause I've been told that I would enjoy that. So
0: gone Did girl, you- I believe is on Hulu right now. And I also have the Blu-ray if you want to borrow it. Okay. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I liked gone girl quite a bit. And I, I that, that was one thing that I brought up last week was I, I haven't <coughs> watched Mank because I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen <coughs> citizen Kane, which is uh, something that we got some feedback on this week. Uh, private feedback and a text message but uh yeah no i i love david fincher and i you know i i'm excited always excited to see what he does but this certainly i think feels like something that i would absolutely be into um so that's exciting um
2: have either of you guys watched mind hunter no i
0: have not i started mind hunter but um my better half was not as into it as i was so we didn't really keep up with it but i've been meaning to go back to it um i know there's two or three seasons of it just two okay they were and i think it got kind of canceled at the beginning of covid
2: yeah well. it was supposed to come back and i think they've officially said i think that the last i read fairly recently fincher kind of released everybody from their contracts yeah, which is that's a bummer. Cuz he directed a handful of the episodes from both seasons. Okay. And it's it's very very good.
0: Yeah. No, if you I like gotta...
2: if if you kind of have that Zodiac itch and you don't want to watch Zodiac again, Mindhunter is pitch perfect.
0: Yeah, I got to get back to that. Um let's knock out so we'll, we have a couple trailers to talk about, but we'll knock out some of these other stories first. Uh it's a pairing of Disney stories but Right now, Kevin Feige is fighting to keep Black Widow in theaters only. Um, So it turns out as uh, Disney's releasing, they released Mulan as like a premiere Disney Plus title where you pay $30 to watch it. And then it eventually made its way back to the service after some viewing period there. And they're also doing the same thing with Raya Raya and the Last Dragon, I believe it's called, the new animated flick from Disney. Um, but it sounds like Kevin Feige is standing firm against the powers that be at Disney to try and make sure that, uh, black widow does not move to Disney plus. Um, this is kind of an interesting thing for me. And it, it, it kind of picked my interest because of the fact that like, there's there's a few different powers at play here, and I think there's some people that are thinking like it would really suck if the one of the first big and like the the female led Marvel movie that people were clamoring for for a while, some people were clamoring for for a while would be the one that gets kind of thrown away on Disney plus um I think is something that the optics of it are something that people are looking at. But then also the scheduling of the Marvel slate as well. Like if this one falls back, what does that do to the other two or three that are scheduled to come out this year? Um, but I don't necessarily know what the right call is going to be. You know, May's coming up quickly. Movie theaters are opening back up. But it's hard to say that they're going to get their million dollars out of it in an opening weekend. A billion dollars, excuse me out of an opening weekend when there's so many people that are still unwilling to go back to theaters, but um, just to kind of take your guys's temperature on it. Like, Tim, do you feel as though you're comfortable enough to go see black widow? If it comes out on May 7th
1: is so may I, I kind of tried to give up predicting, like, I don't know. the kind of like the future on this whole thing. Uh, I, so I don't know. It all depends. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is if I it, like tomorrow, if I, or if I, I'm sitting around Sunday and if I were to go, if I were to get on my phone app and see black widow was playing and there were like only what it was, there's like one other person in the theater, I would be fine. Like <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, but that's kind of a personal thing and I don't yeah. want to tell anybody what to do, what not to do here. So I, it tells me, like you said, it tells me that maybe he's, he's, you say he's fighting, he's trying to protect the integrity. He said he was going to theater, continue to kind of protect the theatrical release. I know he had said that at their investors call. So that may have something to do with it. I -hmm. think you're right about um, the optics of releasing a female um, driven movie, especially one with Scarlett Johansson, because I do know that she is a movie star, not just in America, but internationally as well. So that's taken into consideration. And, but yeah, the most important thing there, I think, is the timing of it. And you touched on that as well. Is w- what is this movie with regards to the rest of the Marvel Universe? Does it, I mean, because the other thing is, I don't, it's going to get, it's going to take a hit in May, but I'm not sure if those other movies aren't going to take a hit either later in the year. Like they're not going to make as much money as they were going to in yeah. normal times. So, I don't know if it's just one of those things where it's just like, let's get it out and then we'll go into the three month window of release. And I don't know how much this movie affects the rest because they've already delayed it once. And now WandaVision's out and the TV shows are starting. I don't know how much this movie is going to play into the rest of the universe, like how it ties in. So that's what's curious to me and what I'm kind of most interested in.
0: Yeah, there's kind of like a really weird schism right now where the TV show is pushing the story forward, but you've got things like um, I believe the next three out of the gate are Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Black Widow, the Eternals, and Shang-Chi, all of which are largely disconnected from kind of the endgame storylines that we know of, right? And Mm -hmm. the threads that they would potentially pick up on, if there are any. Um, So it's kind of hard to say, like, what The limbo is for how all of this big, massive Marvel machine is going to connect together. And I think it's really hard for Faye to kind of be like, let's throw a wrench into all of that, especially since they've let WandaVision out of the gate and uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier is coming next month. And so who knows?
1: And I guess if this were to tie into anything, it'd be Falcon and Winter Soldier, probably. But I don't know if that that would be the case. But it is interesting, too, that he's not willing to go that Mulan route.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's, what's curious to me. And, and the the part of it is like, I'm wondering how much of it is the pride of like, look at all of our Marvel movies that have grossed over a billion dollars worldwide. I believe that's true. I don't know if that's true, but like this would theoretically be the first Pearl that doesn't quite, you know, line up with the rest of them. I don't
2: know, Nick, what do you think about this whole situation? Does, does Feige have involvement in the TV shows? Is he, like, the EP and the, and the godfather of that universe as well? Or is he strictly, like, cinema side?
0: I believe he is. He is. I think now, is now he now is. It is now underneath him, yeah. It used yeah. to be Ike Perlmutter doing the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Netflix stuff. Wasn't right. um, Jeff
1: Loeb a part of it, too, for I a while? Think,
0: yeah, I think you're right. Jeff Loeb was working on, bo- on, on uh, at least Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if not both of mm-hmm. those as well. So, like, I I, I know that he's... Uh, it, he has to be involved with uh, with WandaVision. Let me see if he's actually credited with anything.
2: I only ask because WandaVision is taking off so successfully. Like, I I see people on my social media that people that I know personally that have never really ever talked about any Marvel movies or anything, and they're posting about WandaVision. Like, it's it has broken through in a way that I think. You know, obviously Marvel, you know, it's, it's a household thing at this point, but just the discussion and the conversation swirling around WandaVision is so persistent every week. It's really cool. Like, it's awesome to see a series being released week to week like that and giving you the time in between to like, you know, digest it and think about it and talk about it and speculate on it. And it, it, it's definitely like an old style of, of viewing that we don't really get anymore. Yes. And that, that, is, that is signaling to me that people are really ready to just embrace all of this in, like a, in a, a TV serialized format. And so I wondered if Feige was just being stubborn because he wasn't as involved in that. And suddenly, like, the spotlight was being taken off him a bit. But if that's not the case, then it really doesn't matter.
0: He is an EP on on WandaVision. So I do believe he has direct control over all of this stuff as well. Um, Interesting. But no, you're right. It's kind of been this weird return to appointment television where I'm like, I can't even look at YouTube or Twitter on Mm -hmm. Fridays until I've watched WandaVision.
2: Oh, and, and part of my looking forward to the weekend now is being able to see a new episode of Yes, that, to, yeah. some, to some extent. And the other thing, too, and it's no offense to, to Black Widow or Scott Johansson or whatever, but like WandaVision's fresh. Yeah. And it's exciting and it's interesting and it's different. And Black Widow is a prequel movie about her in Russia doing her thing. And I'm just like, it just kind of makes me shrug. I'm like, I'm sure it'll be cool. The action will be neat. But Ever since her story was pretty much closed off pretty well, I thought, in Endgame, I just don't really feel the pull to see that. Whereas with WandaVision, it's something that is also female-led, it's female-driven, and it's it features a really awesome central performance, and it's just super compelling.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and yeah, so I don't know. I'm... I'm really like I don't want I to. I wonder too if it
2: affects. It has to affect something financially. Like
0: that's in
1: the Scarlett yeah. Johansson factor. I think is a big factor in this yes.
2: as well. Like yeah. who who is going to get paid how much money? I'm I guarantee will change depending on whether or not that movie is released in theaters or not. Yes, and that'll we'll talk about that a little bit more shortly. Yeah, but I, th- I think that that I mean it was there. Have either of you guys heard how successful Mulan was with its kind of premi premium. Uh, whatever it was called
0: I don't know that I've seen a whole lot obviously that stuff is pretty close to the close to the chest for Marvel or for for Disney because they're not you know it's all in Disney plus they don't really have to release any numbers on any of it if they don't really want to That's um, true so have I don't you guys know.
1: ever looked at like the top streaming shows by the way like the streaming ratings Mm -hmm. they're so funny it's like it's like the office number one and then just like a bunch of old stuff as well (laughs) it's (laughs) so funny to me it's true
2: because we want comfort food yeah like at at home you want yeah the comfortable shit
0: well and i think nicole had mentioned to me earlier there was some show that because they've just started nielsen has just started i think actually doing some sort of quantification for new releases on streaming platforms like this and um and she was she was kind of shocked. Oh, she 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 was surprised that um, WandaVision had overtaken Bridgerton on Netflix. I believe like WandaVision is huge compared to Bridgerton. And I'm like, well, it's a Marvel property. Like, there's so many more people that are going to watch a Marvel show. Yeah, even if, if a- something blows up on Netflix, the Marvel show is going to have the bigger reach everywhere. Literally. So yeah, and they just have the built-in audience. Yes. So, well, I think that kind of carries well into the next discussion, of course, as Nick was playing at there, the idea that uh, who's going to get paid for what. Uh, Nick Nick had an interesting uh, article that was on um, Variety. And it says the title of the article is Disney keeps 80% of streaming revenue by calling it home video. Um, and so it basically looks like there's a the way that a lot of the contracts that Disney has are written and the royalty contracts, probably with the screen actors guild or the producers guild or whatever are written, uh, allow them to kind of classify releases in different ways. Um, and so something being released on a streaming platform is being called home video. And, uh, it looks like Bill Nye has taken issue with that, uh, because he's got, uh, He's got some programs that they would like bigger. He would like bigger royalties on him and his production team would like bigger royalties on. And uh, it looks like it's an ongoing legal battle at this point. Nye's, Nye's, like, I think the judge has smacked down Nye's request to get any bigger piece of the pie at this point. But they're, of course, going to, um, you know, uh, appeal the decision. But uh, yeah, like 80% of the profit. For a release here seems kind of uh it's a big piece of the pie in my opinion for something that Disney is streaming. Um but I don't necessarily see a way out of it other than this legal battle. I don't know, like and like you said with Wanda or with with um Black Widow, that's a pretty interesting conversation as well. Like once that flip is that switch is flipped, like what's in those contracts that says that, you know, is Scarlett Johansson gonna get paid how many millions of dollars or something or how does that affect the points off of the back end it's all kind of inside baseball but i don't know nick what did, what did you think in in reading through this article about kind of how like is this just or do we need to recalibrate
2: you know the this is probably not the most so Reading through it, it seems like they had an they had a contract, they had an agreement mm-hmm. from Bill Nye. I mean, Bill Nye's been around since we were kids, right? Yeah. And they had some sort of contract or some sort of agreement at some point that gave him, you know, X amount of dollars, and and the the whoever held the rights to it got, you know, a, a little bit more of the pie when it was home video, but that was considered sales of VHS tapes, right? Which which Nye specifically cited uh, during his legal battle. Where he was saying that. You know, a rectangular piece of plastic was what constituted home video sales to him. Yeah, and anything that was on television that was, you know, beamed through through a network into someone's TV directly was uh, was his, or not his, but he had claim to to more of it. And now Disney is constituting. You know, they're they're just saying that that's home video, and it's kind of unfair for the obviously the person who has the the interest to to keep more of the money is going to just say that's home video and Bill's saying no it's not and from what I recall and I was just trying to pull the article up but I couldn't find it I believe Nye and his team proposed like a 50-50 split or something like that and Disney was like nah we're gonna keep our 80% thanks and the fact that there are seemingly unwilling to go back and revisit the agreement and even say like, you know what? I I see what you're saying and it is because of you that we are getting all this money and these royalties. Now I'm sure, you know, Bill Nye is not their, uh, their Avengers necessarily, (laughs) but it's still steady stream coming in and it's worth revisiting, you know, for somebody who's basically at this point, a beloved cultural icon and seems like a pretty decent dude. And the first thing I thought of (laughs) was the second amendment, because people either stand on, you know, people who are staunch believers in the in the the right to bear arms and own as many guns as they want, or whatever. Like they, it's hard to have an argument with somebody and and be able to say, listen, that law was written in a very different time. <laughs> Maybe we could revisit it slightly with modern context because some things have changed in the hundreds of years since then. And I feel kind of the same way about any of these uh, long-standing agreements. You know, even like.
0: I don't know, like, like,
2: well, like even just like other shows like family matters or something mm-hmm. like that, that may have had some sort of agreement during, you know, syndication or whatever. But now with streaming, everything has, the, the game has changed as, as we would like to say. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's worth for, for the talent involved, for the people who helped make it possible in the first place, who a lot of people are, are, you know, those royalties are kind of nice to have, I'm sure it's worth revisiting because, you know, the the, 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 everything has changed. Like I said. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's necessarily in, in my opinion, I don't think it's necessarily fair for Disney to just take 80% and just say, Oh, it's on video. Like that's the agreement you you made. Sorry. It doesn't matter if, you know, <laughs> technology has shifted in an incredible
0: way since well, then. And I it, like, honestly, what it really brings a light to me, like for what I want to know is how do they even quantify, like how much of per subscriber, Per episode, do they give to Bill Nye if they've watched any science guy or not? You know, like what? How do they? What crazy abacus do they have out there that's able to calculate exactly how much of one get one the given person's subscription should be going to each of these different pieces of content as the royalties would would come. So I that's that's kind of. Crazy and baffling to me, Tim. What What were your thoughts on on this piece?
1: Honestly, I so I read this article and it is very interesting, but it's one of those articles. I a lot of legal stuff for me, like the legal system is just beyond me. I don't when I read (laughs) when I read articles like this, it boils down to like when I I saw Disney had won this or whatever, I just went, oh yeah, Disney has better lawyers. Like they're (laughs) they're gonna win. They probably have better lawyers than anybody. And then the other thing too is I read it and I go, yeah, this is totally unfair and. I thought, yeah, this is Disney. Like Disney really likes money. They mm-hmm. they love money. And they will find a way to make the most money possible. So then the other thing that ran through my head is the recent kerfuffle with, um, what's her name? Uh, Gina Carano, where mm. where it's Disney. But it's also like the main thing that ran through my head is, well, yeah, like you're costing them, you're costing Disney money with this stuff. It wasn't, they didn't fire her for the greater good. Like, because they had some like, crisis. Like, they fired her because 100%. she was, she was costing them money. And that is literally all Disney, the corporation care, all these corporations and Disney, especially is just a big shark. And I do think Disney pre- creates a lot of great content. I mean, I, we <clears> talked <throat> about WandaVision and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, it's the bottom line. And if you're costing them money, they're going to, uh, lawyer up and probably beat you in court. So that's those were the things that ran through my head.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it makes sense. And like you said, like it's probably like forty five lawyers at at Disney working on this case, and Bill Nye's got like three or something like that. Whatever it is, but or oh god, yeah, one. they all Who look knows. like
2: they all look and sound like him. So they're <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> just <laughs> Nye <nigh> clones. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not the most compelling in court. <laughs> I would
0: be very compelled by that core battle actually.
2: But uh no. Team Nye. Yes. Yeah, no. I think I think it's something that after I I read it, before I even sent it to you guys, I was turning it around in my head and I was just thinking like like I said in the text to you guys when I sent it, I see both sides of the argument. I see Disney saying like, you know, umbrella approach like we we own this and we can we can kind of dictate the terms. Mm-hmm. which is kind of the you know they have the high ground and it's kind of the disadvantage that someone like Bill Nye is at and like you said they have a, a huge legal team i'm sure that is able to to find uh precedent in the past and be able to like point and say you know it, this is this says that we we are able to to determine what constitutes home viewing you know people are people are paying money to see it in their home and that's equivalent to like home video yeah but i like uh, the technicalities of it are I think very open to interpretation. It'd be interesting to see if eventually Nye is able to appeal and get a judge who sees sees it a little more from his perspective. but the law's weird because you don't have to be right <laughs> you know you don't <laughs> you don't have to be right you just have to to maybe prove that the other guy isn't right and or at least you know determine who the onus is on for for or uh, burden the burden. What is it? The burden of proof. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's actually the stuff that, yeah, that's the other thing I've been watching. We're still plowing through an insane amount of law and order SVU, <laughs> mostly for Christopher Maloney. And uh we finished, by the way, we watched through until he's not on the show anymore. And then we just went back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And, because we had skipped the first, I think, four seasons. We started like in the middle of the show, in the middle of his run. And now we're going back and watching it all. But sometimes the court stuff is way more compelling than the cop stuff because oh, yeah. some of these weird situations they find themselves in, and obviously it's fiction. Mm-hmm. So it, it can't be necessarily applied to the real world, but uh, it, there are shades of truth in there. And it, the stuff that can happen in, in, in courtrooms is just insane. And some of the things, you know, I mean, we see it all the time, the stuff that, very as high profile as it can possibly get in the United States of America, and some shit goes down that you don't think is going to happen, but it does. <laughs> because, like Tim said, your representation matters. Yeah. But I, I think you know, just it, it's something interesting to think about. Like just in in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about it too. With like, because I'm obviously staunchly opposed to the idea of movie theaters ever going away. Yeah. But you know, COVID, this sort of semi lockdown that we're still find ourselves in has definitely you know chipped away at my resolve for not watching as many movies at home. And like, you know, Bill and Ted face the music is a great example. I would have loved to have seen this in the theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the fact that I finally just watched it at home by myself was like kind of a drag because this would have been a lot of fun to see with a group of people. Yeah. But the sure. nature of streaming, I mean, it has, it has redefined everything and we're still, it's still in sort of in its infancy really, I think in the big picture. So you know, things yeah. things can change.
0: It just makes me wonder if this kind of case is going to bring to light how much people need to be <clears> niggle <throat> and diming these contracts to make sure, you know, and that was always a thing, you know, arguing for points off the back end or whatever. However, you're going to take your payment for doing one of these projects. The big stars can always make big arguments for whatever they want, but like, sure. how much are they focusing on? Like, hey, what are you giving me off of your Disney Plus subscriptions? How much of this? seven dollars a month that i pay for disney plus is just going straight into robert Downey jr's pocket at this point <laughs> so
2: yeah it's crazy i mean it's a it's a crazy world when you think about all the all the everything that's going to have to come in the years to come to kind of redefine these contracts too and it's why i think it ties it may, it may tie into someone into black widow because i wonder too if feige is going to take a hit if it doesn't see the theatrical return that he wants yeah Cause his, a... I mean, even his, even he's answerable to the, to the house of mouse. So yep. he, he might be missing out on a couple cool mill, uh, <laughs> if it doesn't go onto the big screen and do well. So, and I would not be shocked at all. You know, people, that's the problem. We put a lot of these, you know, directors and actors and, and, and such onto pedestals and think that they get involved in a lot of these projects because they're passionate about it and they care about it. And to an extent, that's certainly true. But at the end of the day, everybody wants what's theirs or what they think is theirs. And Kevin Feige is certainly no exception.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we've got two trailers to talk about before we get to bill and Ted. It's going to be a long one, I think boys, but, uh, there's a, the first trailer for mortal Kombat has been released. This is the, uh, the film that will be coming out on HBO max and in theaters simultaneously. Uh, and something that I think, you know, we as a group, enjoy mortal Kombat, the video game and the movies uh in a lot of different ways but uh you know we i i at least have been very curious what this new one would even be like because it was kind of quietly announced and quietly filmed and now it's going to come out and hopefully it will not be so quiet when it does that but uh this is starring uh jessica mcnamee as sonya blade Hiro yuki sonata a scorpion and many many more people uh, including Joe Taslim from the the Raid movies is going to be Sub Zero slash Bhan. Um, it's been a while since we've had a Mortal Kombat movie out. Tim, I know you guys touched on this in horror movie yearbook, but if you want to kind of uh, speak speak in uh, for for yourself and maybe for Willie as well, how excited are we for Mortal Kombat?
1: I think I mean we're both excited. I think Willie's definitely. A little more excited but willie is a bigger fan of the franchise than mm-hmm. i am i haven't played a Mortal Kombat game in years since like sega um, but i did like i did like that original movie um annihilation is what it is and then we <laughs> haven't had much i mean we haven't had much in, in since then outside of the video game so yeah um we talked about it a little bit and willie is willie mostly talked about it the trailer itself <laughs> yeah it was mostly because i had just watched the trailer and it didn't even register with me oh, the only thing i want to say from the trailer is this is a spoiler sub-zero freezes a guy's blood and stabs him with it
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah and honestly that's
1: that's really all i have
0: to say it is a red band trailer there's some really grisly stuff that they show that I probably wish I hadn't seen yet but I am I think if I don't think about it too hard I might be okay and I'll I'll forget it before we watch again but I'm sure the movie's going
2: to be packed with so much of it it won't even matter. Yeah. You probably saw the tip of the iceberg.
0: That's the, So Nick, you, you you were saying that you maybe have watched the trailer a bit too much. It sounds like you are quite excited for Mortal Kombat.
2: Oh my god, so excited! I love Mortal Kombat. I we were talking about this before we started recording. I read all the comics that were on DC uh, Unlimited or whatever it's called. Um, the web series they made a few years ago with uh, um, Kevin Tandetron. Was he involved in that? Yeah, yeah, he. That was yes. so awesome. It was like really good. It was just low rent enough. I remember thinking that was really cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Like <laughs> it kind of, it kind of is what helped. I think make get make this happen. Yeah, because it sparked you know interest in Mortal Kombat again. I love the first movie. Obviously, when I was a kid, I saw that and could not stop trying to roundhouse everybody. It was so sweet. <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation is just awful. It's easily one of the worst movies ever. But it's really fun to watch with a group of people. Uh, and it's uh you know Mortal Kombat's one of the weirdest like so growing up I was definitely not a street fighter kid I was a Mortal Kombat kid all day and uh it was one of the big like cultural touchstones of that era if you were like a 10 to like 13 year old kid when that was in its prime like it just ruled and uh this this new movie looks pretty fun I'm trying not to get too excited about it but the thing is Mortal Kombat's not supposed to be like I don't think it should be really good. I don't think it should be like really polished. It shouldn't have an airtight script. It shouldn't have great acting. (laughs) You know, it just needs to have great martial arts, cool special effects and feature just a lot of cool characters. And, you know, the lore, I do think the lore of Mortal Kombat is actually really cool. And so I'm excited uh, about a lot of the characters that I see on display. I'm glad it's not just like Liu Kang and Shiny Cade and Sonya Blade. I'm glad a lot of the kind of utility guys like Jax and Kano are in there. Um, and of course, you know, Scorpion and Sub-Zero rivalry looks pretty sick. So I, I'm, I am more excited for it than I wish I was, (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, it's, it's coming out on HBO max. So I really don't, you know, have anything to worry about from a financial standpoint, but I do, this is one that I really want to get together with people and watch. And so when it comes out in April, I'm hoping that things, at least in the COVID horizon are, are clear enough that we all feel okay to just be in a, in a large enough basement and kind of, you know enjoy it because i think uh i think this is one that's meant to be enjoyed with friends for sure
0: yeah no i i agree i you said all the same that like the the things that i would say I, I feel as though um you know getting lost in the nuts and bolts of a mortal combat script is not necessarily what i want to do i just want to like watch people punch each other in cool ways and see what the effects look like and like the only effect in the in the trailer that i was kind of iffy on at least the first time around was Kano's laser eye. But seeing it the second time around, I was like, eh, it looks fine. I don't know what I was worried
2: about with it, but. Oh, it looks just right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard to match Kano from from OG Mortal Kombat. It movie, is such but. a, the bar is so high. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it looks like a lot of fun. And, you know, they, they the trailer indicates that we're going to be coming in through the eyes of a cypher, a newbie to the, Mortal Kombat tournament in Cole Walker.
2: <laughs> Cole, yeah, with with a birthmark that's a perfectly etched dragon logo. <laughs> uh, it means he was born with it, by the way. Yes, those are, those are the kind of lines that I'm here for. Oh, it's gonna be great. Yeah, it's totally fine. It's exactly what I want out of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, it's
0: I'm excited to to watch it. it.
2: And it has a cool look, like it looks, it's got a yes. cool vibe, like it doesn't look really flat, it looks stylish and and cool and kind of gritty, and that's, that sounds pitch perfect.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
2: and the other trailer
0: that we, uh, that we got a glimpse of that just came out today was the Army of the Dead, which is the new zombie series or zombie franchise that Zack Snyder is hoping to launch for Netflix. Um, yeah, so Tim... I don't think this has any actual connection to uh, Romero's property of things, other than the fact that uh, Zack Snyder has directed a a remake of Dawn of the Dead. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, please.
1: I think he wrote this originally. And then I Bruce would uh, probably know the answer to this, but I think he... Uh, screenplay Archaeology, Screenplay Archaeology, Bruce's yes. podcast. Um, and I, he would he would uh, know the answer to this, but I think he wrote this originally as a sequel, a follow-up to his version of Dawn of the Dead. And it got shopped around for a while and nobody uh, – people passed on it for years and then he made it for Netflix. I think that's the story behind this. But okay. I'm not – I don't think the finished project has anything to do. I think it's just a zombie movie.
0: Yeah. No. And it's obviously, you know, Netflix will be like, make us another one. And Zack Snyder will be like, yes, please. Um, but what did you think of the trailer? Does it uh, does it scratch any itch for you that maybe that Dawn of the Dead left? Yes. Yeah, so I like his Dawn of the Dead.
1: Uh, I don't I don't know if I love it, but it's a it's a really, really well done action movie. And that's where I like Zack Snyder the best. I think Zack Snyder is still a fantastic action director director i don't necessarily i don't have any fond feelings for like batman versus superman but that doc fight that batman doc fight is so mm. sweet and yeah. like maybe the best batman action sequence put on film it's it's awesome um so i think that's where zach Zack Snyder really shines and all I want from this is kind of what's in this minute trailer which is <laughs> which is just um cool action scenes with zombies it looks like and Batista running around shooting people and zombies in a casino it looks a little sillier than I imagined um which is a good thing because there, it has that zombie Elvis that's kind of shambling around yeah. um so I was I was really into that it looks it looks a lot more fun maybe than I expected and I I I'm excited for that. The only thing I'll say on the negative side is, side of things. And this is kind of a Netflix original problem other than the stuff that's done like Fincher or Scorsese is it looks a little on the cheap side to me. Mm. And mm. I don't know if that's just me watching it on on my TV or what it is, but it, it did kind of look a little like plastic and it could just be the digital look of it all anyway Too just kind of throws me. But that's kind of an issue. A lot of Netflix streaming originals, even like the Michael Bay one that came out, Six Underground, I liked, but it didn't it felt like half a Michael Bay movie to me because I'm used to seeing Michael Bay on the big screen. Um, yeah. And it just it didn't it didn't feel, it didn't have that same sort of film going to the theater feel. So that's that's the only negative I'll say about it. I
0: thought it looked like a lot of fun. I did not realize Hiroyuki Sonata is in both of these films. <laughs> But that's awesome.
2: <laughs> uh, Nick, what did you think of, of this trailer for Army of the Dead? I agree with Tim's uh, with everything Tim said. But the last point in particular, too, I think Zack Snyder has a real tendency to aim high and uh, try to go big whenever possible, which means pretty much always these days. And uh, I, I think, you know, he really showed with Dawn of the Dead. He didn't need you didn't need all this, you know. Didn't need all that spectacle and 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 something that would necessitate an, an astronomical budget and therefore maybe suffer on something like Netflix. Uh, you know, some of the the massive shots of the the sheer scale of this, I was just kind of like, eh, like it it doesn't it doesn't feel necessary. The it could literally have just all been into interiors of a casino the whole time and it would probably be a badass movie. But uh, that said, it looks it looks like a lot of fun and I'm I'm really hopeful for it. Snyder's one of those guys that I begrudgingly stick up for sometimes. And some, you know, we'll definitely condemn him when he deserves <laughs> it. Like BBS is, is shit. Yeah. And I still think he should have just been a cinematographer. I feel like that's his real passion. He'll never admit it though. Cause he considers himself an artist and a storyteller, but the guy has a visual sensibility that's undeniable. And it, it, when he leans into it, it's, it's spectacular. And I think that, uh, I just wish he would just do that (laughs) or at least (laughs) let somebody co-direct with him. Like I think, I think that we've seen in recent years, a lot of really successful co-directing partnerships, especially with action stuff. You know, you have people to kind of balance each other out and I wish he did have somebody to kind of buff off the rough edges and and maybe help him with story and and performance and stuff. The things a director is really supposed to worry about, but he's always just concerned about how stuff looks, which, which we know works well generally, but Anyway, I hope for this movie it serves him well. I think it's. I'm really excited to see this because I know Chris D'Elia was in it, and that was something I was looking forward to until all the shit went down with him, and yeah. they've completely replaced him with somebody else. And I think that's great. And yeah, it's, I, I want to see how that works.
0: It's Tig Notaro. Who is that, I think that's is, what. I, yeah. yeah, she's she's very funny, very funny comedian. So I'm excited to see what like Ty Burrell and De- and Dawn of the Dead. I, yeah. I don't really remember what I. Uh, what i thought of that movie because i watched it a really long time ago i haven't really seen it since but i remember loving ty burrell and also thinking about the fact that like this dude from modern family is in dawn of the dead mm-hmm. um because that's the order in which i saw those things
2: um you but, should rewatch it it's really good i mean and it holds up it's it's a very very cool movie i think i will ahead of ahead of army of the dead and i assume uh you know if
0: well depending we'll have to see where the uh whether it falls under the jurisdiction of horror movie yearbook or Midwest film nerds, but uh, we can, we can talk about that another time. So sure. Um, All right. So Bill and Ted, before we get to the third one, uh, we can kind of touch base. I did also, Nick, Nick, you mentioned that you had watched uh, excellent adventure and bogus journey before watching face the music. Mm -hmm. I revisited those as well back before uh, face the music came out just to kind of refresh myself on them. Um, and so we can kind of touch base on those a little bit. I really love excellent adventure. I like bonus bogus journey a lot. Bonus Um, journey. Bonus (laughs) journey. Yeah. (laughs) That's the new name. That's no, that's just the name of the bonus disc that's on in the, in the DVD box set. But, um, If they ever make a fourth, that's what it needs to be called. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I uh, watching Bogus Journey this time around, it felt a little bit weird. Like it is the weirdest movie in this trilogy for sure. (laughs) And I love it for that. But it also kind of feels weirdly like out of place, in my opinion. Just kind of taking the entirety of the three movies together. Um, But Nick, you've watched them more recently than I have. What were your thoughts on the first two Bill and Ted movies?
2: I I love the first one. It's it's a it's a cherished movie uh, because it's one of those ones. So you know when you're a kid and your parents start like recommending movies that you watch and you're like, eh, <laughs> get real, dad, or or get real, mom. And two of my like two movies I hold pretty dearly came from that that exact experience. And the one with my dad was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and it was one where I was like. This looks stupid. I don't remember how old I was. My brother and I were both really young. And I think we were at Hollywood Video. And my dad was like, oh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. This is a good one. And I and we were both just like, you're lame, Dad. Like, what do you know? <laughs> this will be so dumb. And of course, we loved it because it's, it's just so good. And nothing about my opinion there has really changed. I do think the middle section and the medieval stuff kind of drags now. Mm. Like, that kind of bothers me. And there's a few jokes that have aged very poorly Yeah. Uh, in, in both movies. But yeah. <laughs> uh and and that that aside i think it's just it's it reminds me a lot of ghostbusters where it's a movie that would never get made today mm-hmm. and uh i think it's all the more special considering that and it's it the way it it is kind of a when i was taking one of my one of my film classes in college was we did a few weeks on time travel movies and bill and ted was one that came up repeatedly because <laughs> it it handles it handles the issue of time travel like weirdly well and, and paints it uh, really elegantly. They all kind of do actually.
0: And it's kind of a third
2: one does it in a really uh, amazing way
0: too. It's kind of a weird, like third category when people talk about either star Trek
2: two or back to the future, like
0: Ted handles it differently than both of those movies do.
2: So yeah. And also kind of the, the most simply where it's just kind of the whole kind of thesis is that it has to happen because it did, Mm -hmm. but even so, you can't sit back and let it happen because you being engaged and inv- by you, I mean them, uh, it, by them moving forward, it it, ha- it will happen. They can't just sit back and expect it to happen. But if they did, it would happen because that's how it was supposed to happen. <laughs> and I think it's so funny. So, I was watching it with Kim a little bit and she was not really into it, which I can't blame her. And it's probably my fault because when it started, like just like the opening crawl started and she just looked at me and she was like, what is this? And I was like, well... She said, "Give me the elevator pitch," and I gave her my elevator pitch of it. And I think that that's my fault But <laughs> she kind of tuned out. Because how do you how do you sum up a movie like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah. Anyway, it's a great movie. I still really like it. I have never really liked Bogus Journey, and I still don't really like Bogus Journey. Mm. It just doesn't work for me. And I think it it I don't know what exactly to pin that on. There's a lot about it that I like, and there's a lot about it that I really applaud. And I I like that it that it goes bigger because it has to. And uh, there are some sequences that I really, really like, but just overall, it it feels like it was written. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It just doesn't really work for me. And uh, I always have a hard time making it through it. I always get kind of bored in the middle. And uh, it's important though, in the whole, you know, big picture of Bill and Ted. But it just, yeah, I don't know why. It just, I just don't really like it. And it, it kind of, it always bumps me out every time I watch it.
0: Tim, what about you? what What's your relationship with the Bill and Ted trilogy?
1: So, yeah, watched the watch both of them when I was younger. And so I for a while and I recently revisited them. I revisited them around the time it came out theatrically. Well, I guess it came out VOD, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I revisited it around the time it first came out VOD, but I didn't watch the third one until later. But anyway, I used to. But I think it was just me being kind of contrarian. I used to be like, I love both of them, but two's better. <laughs> two's better. <laughs> but it's two has got that. Um, so I, when I revisited them last time uh, a few months back, one is better. One is kind of one is kind of in its own way. It's it's a perfect movie, and two is shaggier. And like Nick said, it does drag in the middle. Two it gets weirder. Two reminds me a little bit. It's the Wayne's World Wayne's World Two thing with me, where Ooh. Wayne's World Two has so much weird stuff that I love in it. But if you're gonna ask me to pick the better movie, I would probably go with Wayne's World One. Yeah. Um. So it, I think it it's similar in that way. I also. I really loved the Bill and Ted Excellent Adventures cartoon that was on in the early '90s. I think I can't remember where it was, but it was it was it was basically Bill and Ted just having excellent adventures all the time with Rufus. And the other thing I revisited recently too, and it's on Comics All Limited right now, is the old Marvel Bill and Ted series that was written by Evan Dorkin, who was a he was kind of a big indie uh, indie comics writer in the '90s, and he. He wrote milk and cheese, which I know is a big indie comic, but he also worked on space Ghost coast to coast. And he (laughs) is, um, it's really, it's a really fun. Um, the whole omnibus is on, um, comiXology unlimited right now. I think the the whole thing is on there. So
0: I didn't realize either of those things existed, the (laughs) the animated series or the comics. So that's (laughs) awesome. Yeah.
1: So I, I kind of grew up, the animated series was the thing I watched a lot of too. So anyway, yeah, that is kind of my relationship with the the series pre face the music
0: okay well we should get into bill and ted face the music uh director dean pariseau uh directed this film after a long storied uh difficult time getting it produced as nick said it kind of the the uh the difficulty creating this movie it illustrates the fact that it's the first one isn't the kind of movie that would be made today but uh, the IMDb synopsis says, once told they'd saved the universe during a time traveling adventure, two would-be rockers from San Dimas, California, find themselves as middle-aged dads still trying to crank out a hit song and fulfill their destiny. This movie stars Keanu Reeves as Ted, Alex Winter as Bill, and a whole cast of other <laughs> awesome people, including Christian Shaw, Samara Weaving, Bridget Lundy Payne, Bill Sadler, of course, returns his death anymore (laughs) but uh yes so bill and ted face the music uh i guess i'll I'll start with some of my thoughts i think this is one of the most like in earnest movies that has come out in the last like 20 years probably it is just it feels like it's wearing its heart on its sleeve and i applaud it for that um, because there's, it doesn't feel like a lot of movies like this get made nowadays to kind of drive back on that point as well. Um, it's kind of one of the more successful legacy sequels, in my opinion, that have come out. Uh, there's been some that make sense and others I haven't seen, like who saw, uh, it's the Shia LaBeouf in, in uh, Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. Yeah, I did not <laughs> oh see God. that one.
1: Oh, man. Alex, what a I forgot about
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> but Bill and Ted, weirdly, it's not one that I would have expected would be good at the legacy sequel cool kind of thing. And I think they could have just had Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters screwing around for two hours and people would have been like, oh, it's great. It's a Bill and Ted movie. But the fact that it's like about these guys literally facing the music and you know not only that but also interacting with their kids that they have and kind of like the story comes together in such a beautiful way that i didn't really expect it to in this movie and i think it comes together quite well um but in terms of other like kind of non-spoilery stuff like the only like one of the only like big disappointments that i kind of had is that they did such a good job of picking up pretty much everybody that appeared in those first two movies, who's coming back to play a similar part other than some of the historical figures or so. But, um, but the fact that like they pulled in Aaron Hayes and Jama Mays to play the princesses, I thought was kind of sad, not, you know, maybe the original princesses didn't want to come back for this movie or whatever, but I think that was kind of a sad moment, but they both do a great job in the movie. So it's not really, it's just kind of a nitpick. Um, but other other than that, like I think I, I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I think the effects in the the special effects in the movie for the most part are way better than I expected them to be for the fact that they had trouble getting funding for this movie. Um and I just think it's a blast enjoy like enjoying the two of them doing their thing and just kind of seeing another Bill and Ted story unfold in like a meaningful like with more meaning than it ever has had before. Uh, i thought was great so um nick what what are your thoughts on bill and ted face the music
2: i really loved it i i really liked it a lot i think it, i pretty much i agree with everything you just said it's a really successful legacy sequel. Cool. i think that the direction that they took it was simultaneously shocking and also like really logical like Bill and Ted have kind of always been the characters that wear their heart on their sleeve. You know, they're, they're straight up. They are who they are. You know what you're going to get with them. And uh, just like the two of them, the movie's really stupid, but it's also really smart and it's (laughs) really fun and earnest and sweet. And just a, just a great time. Uh, uh, It does get a little more serious. Like, I don't know. I'm just caught up in how, how kind of serious, not serious is the really right word, but, it it does start to take itself pretty seriously at the end, and I think in, in a really wonderful way. Um, you know, getting so many of the returning cast is yeah. insane and really funny, especially uh, Ted's dad. Yes. Is so insane. Like, 100%. every time he was on screen, I couldn't believe it. I was like, <laughs> how is this guy alive? How is he still so good? Uh, Bill Sadler, of course, amazing. Uh, it's just... Yeah, it was really good. My only... I can't really say too much more without, without spoiling anything by only real two complaints. I'm fine with them getting new actresses for the princesses because there's, they've never, it was, it was two new women for bogus journey and having two new women for this one is totally fine. I just wish they had been a little more age appropriate because oh. it felt very strange to me that yeah. they were like in their thirties, uh, actually three complaints. That's one, uh, two, I did not like the special effects of anything in the future because the future in the first two movies was, so, it felt like they were all sets, like it was real. Yeah, that's and this true. is all just a giant green screen backdrop, and I found it so distracting and really just a bummer. Because I loved the way they they depicted the future in the first movies. Uh, like the, the only stuff you see of the future in the first movie is literally like a room, and it's so effective. Like I I absolutely love the future sequence in the first movie. And the third thing, really minor, but like Keanu didn't seem like he was having as much fun as Alex Winter. And it kind of brought me out of it because I just watched the first two like so close to the third one. And Keanu is smiling the entire movies like he's nonstop, like big, stupid grin the first two movies. (laughs) And he barely smiles in this one. And it really kind of bummed me out. And I was like, I get. But on the one hand, I get that they're kind of at a he is more at a crossroads than Bill seems to be. yeah. And I think that is kind of part of the story. But at the same time, Ted is just like such a such a big, dumb, lovable puppy in the first two and I, I kind of wanted more of that infectious Keanu like energy that he just didn't really seem to bring as much, which maybe was part of a function of the story. But I still just found myself really wanting like the the, the Ted that I you know know from and love from the first two. But it's all things considered, it, the movie has no right to be as good as it is, and no right to be as successful as successful at kind of closing off the Bill and Ted story as it as it is. And it's uh, it's pretty special. And I can't really think of a, of a franchise, a legacy sequel franchise that deserves it more.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: There aren't really two characters like them. And I can't think of it, like anybody who's really more worthy, you know, to have a really beautiful kind of conclusion. All these years later. Until Wayne's leisure world makes it out, of course. <laughs> no, see, they I don't ever want to see Wayne and Garth again. I hate the commercials that they're in. I
1: was gonna like, say, yeah, they they're had a Door commercial. Yeah, <laughs> so. no,
2: they, they can't transcend the nineties. Like they're they're there and that's fine. But Bill and Ted are are eternal.
0: Beautiful. Beautifully said. Uh Tim, what, what were your thoughts on Face the Music?
1: So I am really, really happy that I revisited this about uh yesterday. I watched it again yesterday because I had watched this a uh, couple months back when it first dropped in price because uh, I'm a cheapskate. But um, it, I watched it the first time. And- no, that's
2: fair. I had a hard time paying $6 to watch this, believe me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so uh, what's funny is I paid $12 for it now because I've rented it twice. And it's really not, it wouldn't have been <laughs> that much. But-, but
2: honestly, it's worthy. It's worthy. Yeah, I,
1: it, it, so the first time I watched it, I... The end worked for me, and we'll get into that later. Hmm. The end, flat out, like the last 20 minutes, all just clicked and it worked for me. But the first, yeah, the first hour or so, I was just kind of like, this is cute. This is, it's amusing. It's kind of fun. I like, I'm happy seeing these guys, but I was, I was a little bit let down in some ways because weirdly enough, this movie had, I had expectations for this movie. And it (laughs) seems because, I, and there's an interview with one of the writers. I think it's Chris Matheson, who, by the way, is the son of Richard Matheson. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> did. Isn't that wild?
1: <laughs> yeah. um, had no <laughs> the, idea.
2: Yeah, one of the most prolific like sci-fi and fiction writers, and his his kid is yes. the is the Godfather of Bill <laughs> and Ted. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> so, so there was an interview with him that had talked about this kind of came from someone asked Keanu in like 2005 while he was promoting it, probably revolutions matrix. Mm. Um, would you do another bill and Ted? And Keanu was taken aback by the question and said, yeah, I would. And so that kind of kicked this whole thing into motion. And then <laughs> I would follow this thing for like back in the, the, um, the old days of the internet with the old sites. Um, <laughs> and they would have Alex winter would talk about this thing all the time yeah he would he would he would talk about the script's not ready or the script is really good we just got to find financing and then Mm -hmm. there was talk of a reboot completely taking the characters out but then they had come back with this and so i had i had expectations because also it was the same two writers and then they brought in the director of galaxy quest which i think is one of the best comedies of all time absolutely (laughs)
3: like
1: like galaxy quest is perfect so I, I went into this and i go well, they got all these people back including the creative forces and they brought in the director of galaxy quest who hasn't done much since then um i'm really excited for this so the first time i watched it i was a little let down and then i rewatched it yesterday and everything worked i mean <laughs> start to finish and it almost reminded me of it, galaxy quest in a way where the first time I watched Galaxy Quest, I remember thinking it was funny, but then on rewatches, like Galaxy Quest holds up insanely well on rewatches. Like it gets better each oh, time. Absolutely. It's yeah. one of yeah, it's one of those comedies that you pick up different stuff every time. And it this reminded me a little bit of that. So I am I'm very happy. I still think it's it's not necessarily a laugh out loud, funny comedy. It's more amusing most of the time than funny. But it you touched on it, it's very earnest, it's very sweet. I think the I can't say too much else without spoiling it. So um, as far as any negatives... Nick touched in a little bit with Keanu. I almost Keanu has almost outgrown the Ted character in some ways in just the way he (laughs) he is. But it almost because of where the story takes Ted, it kind of works. He doesn't have it down. The other issue, though, is too is uh, Alex Winter is awesome as Bill. Like he's he just slips back into that. He hasn't missed a beat. No, he has not missed a beat. And it kind of because Keanu has kind of gone in his own way, it's kind of tough it took me a little bit to get back into Keanu as Ted, but Alex, Alex Winter right away was just on point. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that would be about it. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And yeah,
2: we can spoil it now. It's because it's because he hasn't acted since the 90s. I know. <laughs> I, took a, I took a screenshot and I sent it to my brother earlier. My brother's a giant Bill and Ted fan. And uh, he even told me, he's like, I have a hard time. Be deciding between Bill and Ted 1 and 3 which is which, I think is the best and I was like holy shit this is before I watched Face the Music but I took a screenshot of trivia earlier it said to prepare for his role as Bill Alex Winter took acting lessons again as he was busy with his filmmaking career <laughs> like <laughs> he had to relearn how to act <laughs> And yeah. Uh, yeah I agree though like Keanu's just so serious like he felt kind of like John Wick in, in the Bill and Ted movies sometimes like even his voice is very different which I get you age and things change but Alex winter was so shockingly the exact same that I was like, this is a weird contrast now, but you're right. The story does kind of lend itself to, to making it a, a little more palatable.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I just wanted to say real quick, Willie, Willie was planning to be with us tonight, but he had to, uh, he had to step out, unfortunately, but he wanted to say, tell the world I liked bill and Ted death and the robot dude were the best.
2: Mm-hmm. And I just
0: have to say robots having like moral crises, are always fucking hilarious always comedic
2: 100 percent <laughs> of
0: the time i'd like i really only can think of uh hitchhikers and and, and uh marvin and, mm-hmm. and alan rickman voicing a robot that is just like depressed is incredible to me um and this robot as well also is fantastic <laughs> so <laughs> i just man yeah no fantastic and bill sadler once again billson it's hard not to Bill Sadler is just incredible as, yeah. as death and there's I don't know what else there is to say about the, it there, and the
2: girl but. the girls uh, Samara Weaving and, and Bridget Lundy Payne are so good
0: yes absolutely. they are so
2: so so good especially uh, the one who plays Billy Bridget Lundy Payne I think is her name yes uh, who plays Ted's daughter she is doing a better Ted than Keanu is and yeah it's, it's remarkable <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, they do. It's it's a very, like... And that's the thing. I don't necessarily think there's room for, like, them to continue on a Bill and Ted series. Like, I don't know that I want to see that. But they huh. do such a good job portraying those roles and fitting into that. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing them go through the same journey that Bill and Ted went through in the first movie is just a similar journey, at least. A, a very excellent adjo- journey, one might say. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's very entertaining to kind of, like, see see them emulating that and bring their own twist to it and just kind of uh even the the gender swap of it as well i think is a lot of fun too so
1: um Bill and ted but, in the in the comics and in the early iterations of the script i read they they had sons and they switched they switched it out to have daughters um and it kind of they said it kind of cracked the script for them in a lot of ways and i think that it's way better. Yep.
2: way better yeah way better Because
1: the the sons thing, they said they were just they were just complete carbon copies of Bill and Ted. It was just little Bill and Teds running around. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and the fact that, like, I guess, well, (laughs) we can talk about it in spoilers. So let's get to spoiler, Terry, right now. Um, I was just gonna say, I think it's interesting that, like, um, it's interesting that the kids kind of glom on like there it's almost as though the kids are operating on a on a on a more intelligent level than original bill and ted are because of the fact that they kind of like they're like we want to help our dads in this mission and they go about it in such a better way than bill and ted who are just kind of like we need to go through time and find out what we did because we don't know what we did (laughs) or and we're not coming up with the song like i just think i appreciate the fact that like the kids Like, everything clicks in that final scene of the movie, basically, but the fact that, like, the thing that brings them on their journey is the idea of, like, we want to help our dads, and we can do this with the time machine, because that's what they did when they were younger. Like, it's fun for me. The most fun part about this movie is looking at the people who treat the history of Bill and Ted as true, and the people who completely discount the history of Bill and Ted and kind of seeing how those things come together in like the, the, the current timeline. And I, I think that was a lot of fun. Just kind of like, you know, the, the couple's therapy scene, I think is a lot, is very funny for a (laughs) lot of different ways, but also the fact that like, when it finally comes down to like time travel and things like that, uh, the, the actress who's playing the, the therapist is just kind of like you people are crazy. I need to see you five times a week. (laughs) That's very good very good
1: yeah that um you touched on the that's the other thing too I like about the the characters of the the younger generation and the daughters they're they're open they're a lot more open minded in some ways than mm-hmm. and and not even Bill and Ted aren't close minded Bill and Ted filter everything through their heavy metal though mm-hmm. sensibilities, <laughs> like everything for Bill and Ted is filtered through that the their daughters just kind of love that's the other thing about their time travel too is they don't go for they don't try to get people, their parents or their dads would like, they get people they like, and mm-hmm. then they use them to synthesize everything together. So I think, I think that part of it's really cool. I think, I think this is a love letter to music in a lot of ways, the movie actually, and just in just the way it is. And I, I really liked that about it because Bill and Ted has always had music kind of at the forefront out of it too. But this is a love letter, not just to like metal music, but to music as just a uniting, Thing yes. amongst humanity and i think that's it's kind it's very touching especially at the end but i also like that they're not like music snobs either they they like what they like and even with death when he's talking about his 40 minute bass solo and the album that everybody hated they still find <laughs> they still find ways to pick out uh parts of it they like to encourage him to continue on his path and i really <laughs> i really love that because they're just positive people and i i like that you touched on the earnestness but everybody in this movie it's just such a positive movie
2: I think that's that's too. That's what's so that's always what's so refreshing about Bill and Ted themselves. Is I don't really recall any time in the in the either the first two movies that they that they trash anything or say that like this particular music is bad or anything like that. Like they're just pretty positive dudes. Like even when things are terrible or seem dire, like they're caught in like a a time travel. Crisis. They're like they're chewing gum with a bunch of other historical figures to fix the antenna on top of the phone booth, and like <laughs> they just roll with it, and they have a good attitude throughout. And like I, I laughed out loud, and like of course, multiple times throughout all three movies. But during Bogus Journey, after they beat death, and he's like walking up the steps, and he says something to he says something negative about the about him losing to them and, and one of them was like so seems like somebody needs to learn about sportsmanship or something like that <laughs> and it made me laugh my ass off because i'm like that's that's the most bill and ted response possible like the two guys like that who have like really bizarre parents who don't seem to really connect with them on any level would still be like you need to learn about sportsmanship death <laughs> <laughs> it's so good and the whole everything tim what you just said what you said about like the the kids being so open-minded and 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 smarter than their dads about the way that they approach time travel and, and solving it. I think it really has something to say about being a parent and and having a, a, a partner too, to help like raise your, raise your kid. And the fact that the dads are so open-minded and positive, like made the girls help, helped encourage the girls to be that way too. Whereas both of their dads were kind of like disconnected from them, especially Ted's dad. Right. Um, Bill's dad is not really, in the movies as much, but he's just kind of creepy. But like the, the, the dynamic between parent and child, I think is something that really is, is at play in the third movie. Yeah. And it really shows, I mean, the the relationship between them is so sweet and it's, it's not really, not a ton of time is spent on it, but it's so well done that it doesn't need a lot of time spent on it. You just understand it and accept it. And it's just wonderful to watch. Like these girls just want to help their dads. Like that's so cool. And the moment there were a couple of Alex's Tears moments in this movie. And one of the biggest ones was when the robot's like, oh, I can't kill you because you have the song. So you can't save your daughters. And they immediately smash the thumb drive. And they're like, <laughs> they're just like, screw it. Like, we're going to go save our kids. Like, that's what they care about. They don't even care about saving the rest of the universe. They don't care about the song that they've been traveling through time to get. It, there's not even hesitation. They don't yep. even discuss it. They just destroy it. And that, I, that like made me gasp because <laughs> I was like, you don't see that. It was just was so good. It was so good. I, this movie was really just phenomenal. I
1: And that's uh the other <clears> thing about and what makes Bill and Ted such great characters for me is so when I think about it uh, um there is also an oral history of the first movie um out there floating around but Alex Winter and I was hoping Willie would be on here so he could uh, gasp at this John Hughes knock that Alex Winter throws out. <laughs> oh. uh, but I uh, know he goes because he was talking about what drew him to the first movie and he says it was very distinct team teen, teen comedy. It wasn't like a lot of other teen comedies God knows you audition for a ton of those. If it wasn't a John Hughes movie, it was a knockoff John Hughes movie. And the language is always the same. Teens acting like 40-year-olds in therapy. So <laughs> he, he's right. And uh, by the way, I like John Hughes movies. But but,
2: but he's right. Where's the lie?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, and I like those movies. And then part of it is because yeah, I like watching sometimes watching 40-year-olds in therapy is fun. So um <laughs> I, but Bill and Ted felt so real, like they felt like teenagers and they feel like middle-aged men in this and they also what i love about bill and ted too is if you if i were to be presented to this situation and they're telling me about all of these things and time travel and uh the space and time and all this blah, 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 and all the history and all the people that have lived on earth like when i think about that kind of stuff my head just collapses and i can't function but bill and ted just (laughs) they accept it and they go oh yeah that's how it is we got to do something about it and like that's why they're the best characters
2: (laughs) yeah they are they're just so, they just Yeah, the the level of accept- they're just willing to roll with anything and it's it's just infectious. Like you as the when you're watching it or when I'm watching it, I'm just like it's, it's
1: comforting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Don't even ask <laughs> questions because really does it matter? Like, are you gonna spend time trying to figure out how it works? Or are you just gonna say, okay, Rufus, and jump in the phone booth and then let it rip? Like <laughs> that's just the spirit of it. It's a it's a beautiful lesson and
0: motivation
2: and just kind of going with the flow. Absolutely. Yeah, don't sweat the small stuff. Um I think that the whole the whole final sequence I was as I was watching the movie I was like how is this going to come together? And, and not in like a skeptical or doubting way, just a genuine like curiosity. I was just like how how is this all going to tie up nicely and how are they going to do this especially with the timeline that they that they had established. And I read so this movie is the lowest rated of all three Bill and Ted movies on IMDb, which the IMDb ratings are never anything to necessarily you know, base any real belief on. <laughs> but I was like, why? And I was reading some of the snippets and there were multiple people that were like, I, it was so obvious that the that the girls were gonna save the day. And I was completely blindsided by that. And I I when when the revelation hits Bill and Ted, it hit me at the exact same time. And I was like oh, What? <laughs> because you're if you've watched the first two, I feel like it's so ingrained in your brain that they're the two that do it that the fact that the girls are kind of really the the, the conductors behind the orchestra making it happen was, was such a fresh twist for me. And uh, I was just really blown away by it, especially, and the, the 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 final actual song, like the musical number is really good too. Like it really worked. I was like, how is, what is this song going to be? How is it going to be good enough? And when they were playing the Dave Grohl song over the headphones earlier, I was like thinking, okay, that's how they're going to do it. We won't actually get to hear it and that'll be totally fine with me. But it worked really really well
0: yeah i i I don't like i feel like anybody who's gonna get ingrained in like the idea that like whether or not the kids were gonna be the ones to save like i feel like you're just kind of missing the point like it's not even even so like i think you being naturally surprised by i don't remember feeling as though it was particularly telegraphed when i watched it the first place like i i feel like i remember being like there's not much of this movie left and none of these pieces are coming together and then like when as you said as it clicks for bill and ted and you realize that the you know obviously the 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 daughters have been bringing together this insane band of the greatest musicians ever um it's i think just the way that everything clicks into place in those last 15 to 20 minutes i think it's pretty wonderful and i think it works really well for what this movie is and that kind of final message of like it wasn't even necessarily so much about what the song was. It was just the fact that everybody did it together throughout time. Mm -hmm. I think is, I think it's incredible. I think it's a great message. And it's also,
1: yeah, it's, and it also is them accepting that. Yeah. You know what? They may not write the, the song themselves that writes uh, That saves everybody, but you know, their daughter or somebody else did their daughter, somebody else. It doesn't matter as long as the end result is humanity comes together and is saved. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, that stuff kind of hit me too, because yeah, it is kind of, it reminded this movie reminded me a lot of soul in the same way. And that it is kind of, it is kind of the main characters kind of coming to grips with maybe all of their, and I wonder how much of this is taken from the writers because the writers directors they they haven't had like a huge a huge hit or whatever since the Bill and Ted movies and I wonder how much of that is taken from the fact that like they're never going to write like this great masterpiece in some ways but they what they've written is pretty good and it's touched a lot of people it's great and I think that's that's uh, that's a pretty cool message as well
2: yeah that's beautiful. it's it's cool too because the uh the well just to wrap up that that point I think it's really organic for them to wind up there considering their age and where, when the movie's being made. Because I think as a human, as a human being and a normal human being in, in our world, I think many people, myself included kind of believe in the idea that your legacy is ultimately kind of with your children or the people that you kind of, you know, pass your yourself onto in a way. And I think that's kind of where they land and part of what makes it feel so so right and authentic for me. And this is why I wish Willie was here to talk about this too, because Mm -hmm. he obviously has a daughter too. But as I was watching this, I was just thinking that the whole time I was like, if my kid, if my daughter can do something great one day, it won't be me who's done it, but at least I had a part to play in it being real. And that I hope, you know, will be the, the legacy that I'm, that I leave. Um, but the, uh man you know,
0: if it. I'm going to I got to say if like having having these kids is turning you and Willie into softies like this what the fuck is going to happen to me when I have a kid? going <laughs> <laughs> just
1: going to melt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You'll be the robot from this movie. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. I, yeah. I don't even think it's. I mean, we've always had weird emotional triggers for sure. No, like yeah. Bill and Bill and Ted is not shocking in terms of what's <laughs> going to make us be emotional. This fits right in with me crying every yeah. time I see the fire the fire scene from Turtles One. But <laughs> you know, it's just the fact that they had daughters and the fact that their daughters are so much like them and yet so different. And and will by all rights, be better than them and what they're doing, I think is kind of the ultimate goal and wish of every parent. You want your kids to be better than you. You want them to be like you, but you don't want them to make your mistakes. You want them to thrive and, and, and it just, man, it hit me right, right smack in the center of my entire everything. And I was like, that's beautiful. This is a good one. But on that, on that note of what Tim said about the writers, you know, even every, that's the interesting thing about being like an artist is even if you're not like successful by whatever standard anybody sets, even yourself, if you impact anybody with your art, are you, aren't you are you successful? Yeah. And I think about the jokes throughout the movie when Bill and Ted talk about their – they talk about they played – like in the future, they're like, you played the elk Lodge for 40 people. And they're like, yeah, we did. And they're, <laughs> they're down. And then when Bill's like, I'm worried about our fans and Ted's like, yeah – we haven't heard from so and so in a couple of years. He names three people. Like those are their three fans, and it made me laugh my ass off because he knows all their fans by just by name. And he's like so and so and so and so. We haven't heard from in a couple of years, and it was it just made me laugh so hard because <laughs> like they're fu- they're fine with it. They're obviously upset that they haven't yet written the song that is going to unite the the cosmos and and fix reality, but. But they're they, also like they—they they picked themselves up so
0: many times after all their failures at writing this hit song, right? <laughs> They—they've continued to keep going. It wasn't like—it's <clears throat> so good that this movie wasn't like somebody trying to convince Bill and Ted to come back together, right? They've always been together, and—and <laughs> and that's just—I think that's pretty beautiful because it could have been easy to just kind of be like. Bill hasn't spoken to Ted in 40 years. And like and all anything like that, I feel like is kind of like the obvious version of it. Yeah. Whereas I feel yeah. like they've they've really <laughs> put some thought into how Bill and Ted would carry themselves throughout the years,
2: which is beautiful. Even the even the shitty future versions of themselves are still together. <laughs> like, they won't leave each other. It's amazing. It's very uh, to, good.
1: And uh, the to touchback, one of the writers even said, like, if the only thing that I leave Um, as a legacy and from my work is be excellent to each other. Like that's better than better than most. Like that's pretty (laughs) cool. Yeah. Like I'm I'm happy with that.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. There's a reason that first the future scene in the first movie always makes me weirdly emotional because like that, that's exactly the whole crux of that is like, what are you going to say at this monumental moment in all of reality? It's just be excellent to each other. (laughs) It's so perfect. (laughs) Beautiful. The uh, the whole hell sequence was super funny, too. How they're yeah. just, like, asking demons for directions and shit. And, like, hell is just treated like pretty much the world topside. And people are just working. And <laughs> that's it was so funny.
1: Yeah, Bill Sadler is a... Comedic, the uh, Dennis McCoy, the robot, is a comedic yes. highlight. The other highlight I want to do... And those, the dude that plays Louis Armstrong, he has one scene in particular where he's doing this ridiculous Louis Armstrong impression. I thought it was yeah. the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> it it's is just really funny. Such a cartoon version. Yeah.
2: It's weird that I know what a cartoonish version of Louis Armstrong would be, but <laughs> I, I immediately thought the same thing. No, and I even love, like, at
0: the introduction of Louis and the fact that, like, they're not. This movie isn't. This movie and the previous one has never been about, like, the technology that they bump up against. You know, uh, Beethoven Beethoven in the first movie walks into the store with all the keyboards and is like, I'm going to rock this shit right now because I know mm-hmm. what's going on here. And the fact that, like, Louis Armstrong doesn't even bat an eye at, like, the cell phone in his hand as he watches the video of Jimi Hendrix is just, like, I don't know. I love the, like, the the trivial nature of technology in the eyes of this yeah.
2: movie. is It's just, it's a lot I of fun. I think that's part to do with the infectious... Charisma of Preston Logan, be it yeah. the dads or the daughters, like they just make you say, Cool, man, like, <laughs> all right, like you're just down.
0: They're the Willie Gibbs that are just kind of like, all right, I guess I'm going to listen to what you say and buy Marvel versus Capcom three, even though I've never really enjoyed the first <laughs> few games. <laughs>
1: well, I try to, I'm trying to think of like, if someone, someone said they're from the future, they had to be this really cool looking piece of technology. What I would do. It's not like I would throw it against the wall. Like no, no. And that's, right?
0: Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> it depends no, on was era you're from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, you know, it could, it could have just been like, It doesn't necessarily have to be that, but like not even questioning what's happening before your eyes. I think it's, it's fun.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was building that. Yep. Um, The only other thing I wanted to touch on real quick too, and ask you guys, and get your thoughts on it too, is the, the wife subplot in this. So I've, I've kind of mixed feelings about this because I think some of it was cut out too, for budget mm. reasons. Um, But I think it actually kind of works in its favor in a lot of ways because i kind of dig that they do the they do the gimmick where it 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 happens in real time like the last 70 something minutes of this movie happen in Mm -hmm. real time how they present it and it also i kind of like the end where they just come back and they've had their own journey off screen (laughs) so i didn't know if i didn't know if you guys had an issue with the because i've seen that pointed out as like an issue
0: yeah i mean i feel like i feel like that um You know, the idea that the Bill and Ted movie is about Bill and Ted, I think is okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it is a little bit of a bummer that like, they don't necessarily like that implied journey, I think is funny, but you know, what, what did we miss out on? Like if it got cut for a reason, it got cut. Right. So it also kind of feels like one of those weird things, like a wake up Ron Burgundy, where like if a DVD set ever comes out, maybe there's like a separate movie that's just the other side of the coin from the the wives' perspective.
1: Wake up Ron Burgundy is a wild.
0: I've never actually watched it, no. <laughs> but I probably it's should. It's
1: nuts, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I don't know, Nick, did you, did you have any thoughts about the, the wives' subplot?
2: No, I, I didn't find it problematic because, like you said, it's a it's ultimately it's Bill and Ted's movie, and it it's it is often in Hollywood problematic and easy to point out that female characters may be underwritten, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not malicious in this movie, and it's not because they're absent or because they're heartless characters. Like they they encourage them to go on their journey to make them seemingly leave them, and then they kind of are like, you guys have to do what we're going to try to go fix this uh, and we love you guys. Again, it's still the plural at that point. They don't do the individual I love yous, but it's just, it's handled in a way that I kind of buy. And the relationship with the the princesses has always been really weird. And like probably pretty lined with like misogynism, but at the same time, because it's Bill and Ted, like they don't, it's, it's not like an intentional thing. It just is kind of who they are and they're just kind of dumb and you just, you love them anyway. Yeah. It's also awesome that they are the only two who also know for a fact that they've time traveled and there's this weird kind of like <laughs> understanding on that level where they have to yeah. turn to the therapist to be like, Oh no, we are from 1408. <laughs> like they have time traveled and like they, they're, they're kind of like confidants in that regard. And I think that it's part of what builds up the the nature of that better half. Like you hope that your wife is going to be your better half and you're going to be partners in crime. And they like are really the two other people in the, in the world who know them best besides death, maybe, and who are just kind of their ride or die because yeah, they literally plucked them out of time and they're still sticking with them. Like that's, that's true love right there. <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's an, it's an awesome movie and an awesome trilogy. I pulled up
0: my notes. There were a couple of things that I forgot to mention. Uh, this movie has great fake magazines and cover art. Oh yes, which I think you'll mm-hmm. always. Is oh, a, the
2: Bill and Ted albums are so funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: all fantastic. All that stuff at the beginning is just great. Um, the title of their song at the wedding. That which binds us through time, the chemical, physical, biological nature of love and the exploration of the meaning of meaning. Part one is just <laughs> It's so good. I feel like that's in there just for Coheed and Cambria fans, probably. But it's, it's so funny. Hilarious. And the ensuing it's, performance. Yes.
1: And I like that their daughters kind of they dig the song. Too, yes. I dug the song. Yeah. They're,
2: they're all about it. it. <laughs> the way that uh, Ted's daughter or no, Bill's daughter compliments Ted on his theremin playing is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um and then
0: uh, it's it's hard to replace George Carlin, but I feel like Kristen Schaal does a great job as Rufus's daughter. In yeah, I like liked her, her positivity and just her uh, her mannerisms and things like that. I feel like are are good for you know not that not that she plays a similar role into what Rufus really does in the other journey, but other journeys. But um, I, I really like Kristen Schaal quite and, a bit. So
1: and Ted Ted's wave to the Rufus hologram
2: yeah like
1: when he waves to it it's awesome breathtaking
2: yeah that was a that was a goosebumps moment for sure like seeing the rufus hologram step out and deliver like the lines from the first movie was Mm -hmm. pretty amazing that was beautiful but yeah no we all like bill and ted which
0: uh is is good news for a bill and ted movie coming out so many years after the the first two i'm i'm happy
2: Anthony, I didn't really, I didn't say anything about it, but Anthony Kerrigan, who plays Dennis, Dennis Caleb McCoy was so good. Have you guys, have you guys watched Barry?
1: I know he's in, I have not.
2: Oh, he's breathtaking in Barry. He's so funny. And I didn't know he was in this and I didn't know that was him until he accidentally kills Ted's dad. And then the way his <laughs> eyes got wide and he just kind of looked around, I laughed out loud so hard because it was not what I was expecting. But also I was like, God, that looks like Anthony Kerrigan. And I looked it up and it was, and I was like, Oh my God, this movie just got even better. He's so funny. That's awesome. I need to watch Barry. I've heard so many good things. about Oh man. It, it is really, really, really good. Yeah. Uh,
0: any other final thoughts, Tim?
1: I just think this is a wonderful capper to the series. I'm totally at peace with Bill and Ted. If they want to make a movie about the daughters, go for it. But I just, I, I
0: loved
2: it. Yeah. Nick, any final thoughts? I wish that they had gone a different route with the drummer because I Uh. really thought it would have been a really awesome opportunity to have a, a famous drummer cameo or any sort of percussionist that could have that could have been in there and so, like the cave the cave woman thing was fine but like you're you're stacking up all these like you know kind of famous and groundbreaking musician cameos and I kind of wanted one from a drummer because drummers sometimes get the get the shaft and don't get the recognition but anyway that was just a minor thing they obviously were just progressing further and further back in time so I was like where are they going to go yeah it
0: doesn't <laughs> quite fit but they could but like I, if they would have gone for somebody <clears throat> like more uh you know, recent than uh, Hendrix, I guess. Right. Maybe. It could have just been Dave Grohl straight up and I would have <laughs> yeah. been into it. That'd be oh, pretty Kid, sweet. Kid
2: Cuddy was super funny also. Yes. Yeah. Playing he the, was very
0: good. The straight man who also believes in the, in the time
2: continuum stuff that's going on. It's very have, you, good. have you guys seen the theory that Kid Cuddy is actually station? No.
1: Oh, I did see that. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I read it afterward and I was dying laughing. They think he's like the reincarnation of, of Station because he's so knowledgeable about time travel and like all these all these lofty uh concepts. And and then he says he's the only character to say station. Yeah, I was beautiful. like, holy shit, is he station? <laughs> Maybe. That's awesome. Yeah, it was beautiful.
0: Well good. Uh yeah we'll we'll have to ask willie to, to to uh provide his thoughts on the next episode i believe the plan is to discuss uh the entirety of the season of wandavision uh so for those of you who have stuck around for this long hopefully uh hopefully you're caught up and and uh it'll be fun to talk about what's going on with that show and whether or not it's gonna stick the landing that we have yet to see there are two more correct two more episodes yes okay One coming out in uh, just a couple short hours here, and then one more next week. And then our episode will come out a week after that-ish. So, uh, yes. That's about it for this episode. MidwestFilmNerds.com for the rest of our episodes. Patreon.com slash MidwestPodNet or uh, MPN.BZ slash Patreon. Check those out. Please join us. We would appreciate your patronage and hopefully you would enjoy some of the bonuses that you get access to for doing, uh, for doing such a thing. Um, horror movie yearbook has a new episode coming out, uh, next week. And also Midwest game nerds will be out after that. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, we're excited to be back. I feel like, I feel like this was in full swing, you know, a normal episode of the Midwest film nerds. And it's nice to be, you know back in it with you guys so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: bloated bloated runtime and all <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> but hey if, if any if any movie is worthy i mean this episode is now longer than bill and ted face the music so <laughs> <laughs> for sure
0: yeah absolutely uh but yes kyle xy go watch a movie